Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. This is the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Last week we covered the Knicks, their upcoming draft, their rebuild. This week, a new team, the Atlanta Hawks. And I'm joined by the Athletics' Chris Kirshner, beat writer for the Hawks, to talk about Atlanta's prospect search, um, the draft, and, and their young core. First off, Chris, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, so listen, you just put out an article. Um, you talked a little bit with GM Travis Schlenk. Give me a little recap and a breakdown of what's going on behind the scenes in Atlanta in regards to their draft prep, in regards to um, you know the front office trying to get players ready for a possible return. Yeah, so the, the facility has been open for a little over two weeks now, um, and, and the Hawks are in the middle of uh, doing their virtual draft meetings with as many draft prospects as possible. Uh, Schlenk said that um, you know he feels like he's talked to every college basketball player in the country at this point. They haven't interviewed um, anyone more than once so far, but it seems like things are going well on that front. They they have around 20 people on Zoom with these draft prospects, and Atlanta is one of those organizations that really values lots of opinions. Normally, in, in regular times, there wouldn't be as many people, um, you know, associated with all these uh, draft communications going on. So th- it might end up being a positive for them. Um, but but right now, they're they're focused on you know understanding what's going on with the coronavirus and and, and waiting to see if they'll be one of the teams included if the NBA goes through with this bubble site that's been talked about. Yeah, and so you referenced in your article going back to these draft interviews. There were, I think you said maybe up to like 18 people on the call at one time? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Some of the prospects I've talked to have mentioned, you know, up to five. So up to 18 is, is certainly um, certainly a lot based on, you know, what I'm hearing from other teams. Um, and just some of the things that I've heard from, like, questions that are asked. Do you know if they're – is the main goal really to find out more about the background of the player, because I'm sure that, of course, they've done plenty of their research um, in terms of their basketball abilities. But right, like the Hawks are are really their value with these interviews is to learn more about the person. Yeah. So you know, going back to the the 18 people, um, they have three people who are actually asking the questions, and the other uh, 15 or so that are on the calls are just in the background listening in, taking notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these meetings with the prospects usually last around 30 to 45 minutes. But, yeah, like you said, uh, the, these meetings are mainly about understanding what kind of person the player is. You know, in, in normal times, they'd be having these kinds of interviews in person. Um, I, I've, I've been covering the team now for two seasons, but um, last season – uh, when players came through Atlanta, Travis and, and Boyd Pierce would take them out to lunch or dinner either before or after 
um, their workouts to see just what kind of person they are because they really value character. The guys they've drafted so far are are really high character guys, and that's something that they is definitely a part of the puzzle. Yeah. So for anyone listening, I, I mean, I was talking with the prospect recently, and I was asking him what he was what he was being asked. Some of the questions, you know, they want to know about the background, who's in your circle, what makes you tick, strengths and weaknesses, what role do I see myself playing, um, toughest player to guard, do you drink or smoke, you know, that type of thing. Um, because of course, these guys have watched plenty of game film, and it's such a weird change to have these interviews across a computer screen, you know, across the country. And like you said, going out to dinner was such a, was like a legit part of the draft process, uh, draft process mm-hmm. in getting to know some of these players. So let's, let's talk more about the actual draft for the Hawks because they have such an interesting roster um, in terms of obvious talent and trying to figure out what they need, you know, what, who can plug a hole for them and, and kind of elevate the talent already on the team. So who is like, what's the ideal type of prospect that they get out of this draft? What kind of player is he? I think someone who can play alongside Trey and, and be a secondary playmaker. That's really one thing that they're missing right now. I think Kevin Herter, um, who they drafted in, in the Trey Young draft at 19, you know, he's kind of underrated as a pick and roll guy, but where he kind of is, I don't know if he kind of falls off as, as compared to other guys is he's not really that great at attacking the rim. So he's not the same level of threat as someone like George's Anthony Edwards would be. Um, you know, he Ed, Edwards is someone who can, you know, attack the rim with, you know, the amount of explosion that um, general managers and organizations would marvel over. Herder's not that kind of uh, player. And the other two guys they got in last year's draft in the first round, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, just aren't the the playmakers, at at least right now, who can be that secondary playmaker that could thrive next to Young. I think Reddish has the the potential to be that kind of player, but what we saw in his rookie season, I think he's a little ways away from being that, that kind of guy. So in my opinion, if they can get someone who could play with Young in the backcourt, um, and and be that secondary playmaker to have young um, have more off ball movement because what we've seen so far in, in Young's two seasons in the NBA is he's um, incredible moving not moving but you know catching um, catching off the pass and making shots um, you know in, according to Synergy he finished in the 96 percentile in catch and shoot attempts and they don't really do that much just because they don't have somebody who can operate the offense with young in the backcourt. So if they can get someone um, again, like, like an Edwards type of player who can also, you know, has the ability to defend because young is not that great a defender. I, I think they'd be really happy with that, with that pick if that's the guy they end up getting. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue really into my next question. The Hawks based on the current standings have a 12.5% chance of getting the first pick. Is there an obvious number one overall favorite for Atlanta? Um, you know, from, from talking with people in the organization, there's not like one person in particular who they're like absolutely wowed with. Last year at this time, um, you know, I, I had reported back in, I think it was January, that they were really in love with Reddish. And then once they brought in DeAndre Hunter for their workout, they fell in love with him. But this year, it's, it hasn't been the, the case where they've been just overwhelmed with one person in particular. 
I think if they did end up getting the number one pick, I think Edwards would just make the most amount of sense for them just because of his potential to, again, play alongside Young in the backcourt, um, be that secondary playmaker. He has the athleticism um, to really take the, the Hawks where they're at right now with their floor and, and elevated the level. So if they did end up with number one, my guess is he'd likely be the choice. But again, there there hasn't been one player in particular who I've heard that they're just absolutely wowed with. Right. So uh, Edwards, obviously on paper, he makes a ton of sense based on you know what they need. They could use another score to take off pre- take mm-hmm. pressure off Trey, and of course he has the physical tools and athleticism that that Trey lacks, and, and Edwards has the defensive potential as well. Um, my one concern with with Edwards is the fact that. He's not really great when he's not the number one featured guy. And no matter how you slice it, Trey Young is going to be that guy. He led the NBA in time of possession. And yet, like you said, I love the fact that Trey can play off the ball, catch and shooter, shoots off screens. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's going to dominate the ball. And that just almost sometimes defeats the purpose of having Anthony Edwards on, on your team. And what I've seen dating back to high school, when he is not the featured guy and he's kind of standing around in the wing, he really doesn't know how to impact games. So that would be my one concern with taking Edwards, even though I do understand they need a a violent attacking slasher like Edwards, who could also be a big time shot maker and score. Um, what has, has the team had any discussions or, or have you had heard anything or, or your general thoughts on the possibility of pairing Trey Young with LaMelo, uh, LaMelo Ball? Yeah, I mean, I, I know some fans are, are definitely hoping that the Hawks, um, you know, pair Young with, with Ball. From what I've heard is that, you know, there's definitely some sort of concern right now as far as um, like what you said with Edwards. You know, I think both of these, both those guys, Trey Young and, and LaMelo, would like to be number one options for a team. Would one would one of those guys be okay if, if the other emerges more so than the other and, and you know, take a backseat? I don't know. Um, and there's also some defensive concerns. I, I think with, with um, LaMelo, because of his size, um, you know, he, he definitely would, he could, I, I, I shouldn't say would, but he could fit, um, with young in the backcourt. But from what I've heard, there, there are definitely some concerns just because of the amount of overlap that there is between them. Both of them are obviously on ball guards. Um, both of them have a penchant for taking deep shots, um, especially early in the shot clock. So I, I just think that there are so many, um, similarities between the two that it just doesn't make that much sense. But in this kind of draft, maybe the Hawks and, and Schlenk has said this himself, but maybe the Hawks just decide to actually take the best player available. I know that's been Schlenk's thing that he said since he's taken over um, as general manager for the Hawks. And maybe they decide that Lamelo, Lamelo is the, the best prospect available and try to make it work. But you know, from my opinion, I just don't see how it can work just because of how similar they are. Yeah, I mean, you could you could play the pros and cons game with every single prospect in this draft. And Lamelo, to mm-hmm. me, is is the number one prospect in the draft. And if you were to just, you know, go based on in a vacuum, I, to me, Lamelo um, is is the pick. And uh, man, part of me thinks that it would be so interesting to see the type of pressure they could put on defenses with two Mm -hmm. elite passers like that. And if you can talk to LaMelo and get him to buy in with kind of sharing the ball a little bit, 
uh, playing off the ball. He actually shot a decent percentage on spot-up jumpers in Australia. Um, it's just such an interesting pairing with, with their playmaking yeah. to have two of those guys in the backcourt. But then, of course, you know, the devil on your right shoulder is like, who are they going to stop? Because Lamelo, <laughs> you know, Lamelo's defense was was probably the biggest weakness of his mm-hmm. game. Um, and just having the two of them at the point of attack is, is really a, a question mark. So I'm really curious to see what Atlanta eventually thinks of LaMelo, where they pick in the draft, you know, if Edwards is off the board, if, if they would really consider having such an orth- unorthodox lineup with the two point guards. My next question is really about, okay, so they add Clint Capella. How much level of confidence do the Hawks have that Capella is really going to elevate this team? He's had some injuries in the past because, I mean, I ask it because there are two before that trade, I was doing a lot of mock drafting, of course, and James Wiseman and Yuka Okangu from USC are the two top centers in this draft, and both of them seem like pretty interesting fits at the five, and then suddenly they add Capella, and it's like, well, are they going to even consider these two centers if they get a top five pick? You know, what's the level of confidence that Capella will return to to the, you know his peak that he had in Houston? Yeah, I mean, from, from talking with, with Travis and, and Lloyd, and other people, um, you know, they're, they're definitely confident that he can be that kind of player that he was in Houston. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the better pick and roll big men in the league and having someone like Trey, you know, who's uh, a wizard in the pick and roll, they, they feel like Capella can definitely elevate this team again, with with the concerns, with the injuries, he's still not a hundred percent healthy. Um, you know, when, when they acquired him at the trade deadline, they had said that you know he could possibly return at some point after the All-Star break, and we're now um, heading into June, and he's still not 100%. So I think there's definitely some sort of concern. Um, you know, from talking with Travis the other day, he did say that he had spoken to, to Capella um, last week, and he sounded optimistic about um, where he was in his recovery. But I don't think anybody expected – his recovery to last um, up until June now. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely some level of concern, but I, I do think that they believe that Capella um, is kind of a, a really good fit with this, with this roster and how they operate. Um, you know, last season, the center position was so weak for them. It, it was a glaring weakness from, you know, even before the season began and, and going back to training camp. Um, they, they were going into the season with Alex Len, Damian Jones, and Bruno Fernando, who was their second-round pick in, in last year's draft. So, you know, when, when the season began, it was clear immediately that that, that position was going to be um, a glaring hole, and it turned out to be true. Alex, you know, he was really good last year. I don't know if people realize this, but you know, he shot 36% um, from three. His, his three-point shot just wasn't there this year. Um, you know, he started the first nine games of the season and, and was, uh, I mean, to be frank, he was a disaster starting. He, he was much better coming off the bench. But, you know, getting getting someone like Capella, um, you know, he's, he's not the best d- defensive center um, by any stretch. But I think that they believe that he's good enough and his offense is good enough to, to take this team to, to new levels that they've been in over these past three seasons. So, so do you think that their confidence in Capella will kind of push them away from guys like Wiseman and Okongu, or do you think we're still talking best player available? There's still some risk with Capella 
Um, I think long term, in terms of upside, you could say that Wiseman and, and Okongu have have more. So, do you think those mm-hmm. two guys are going to be in play for them? You know, wherever they pick. Yeah, I definitely think they're they're in play. Um, you know, it's not a situation like with Trey and Lamelo. Um, you know, and just looking at the roster now, uh, you know, they also acquired D- uh, Dwayne Dedman at the trade deadline from Sacramento. He was on their team for two seasons before. Um, and and Dedman, you know, he's not a part of the, the future plans. So, you know, if they decide that uh, Wiseman or Conquo is, is the best choice for them, I don't really think that having someone like Capella who's under contract through 2023 would, would stop them just because, you know, they're still going to need depth after Capella. So if if they say, you know, Wiseman is their, is their pick at, um, you know, in, in the top five, if that's where they end up getting, I don't think having Capella or even Deadman on the team is going to stop them. And I, I just think that with Fernando, I, I know they have, you know, long-range hopes that he can be the center of the future. But from what we saw in his rookie season, I think he's so far away from that happening. So if they decide that one of those guys is the best choice for them, I don't, I don't think that would preclude them from not taking someone like Wiseman or Conklin in the top five if that's what they chose. Yeah, so so me personally, I have Okongu over Wiseman. And I thought, and before he, they even made the Capella deal, I thought Okongu was like such a perfect fit for his energy and rim protection around the basket. And with John Collins suddenly improving away from the basket, I thought it was mm-hmm. a really nice pairing. And I also love the idea of, okay, so you have Capella at, at starting center. Okongu, his motor and his energy, it's kind of like tailor-made for that six-man role. Um, so to me, he's a safe bet, no matter how you slice it. Um, and then going back to uh, going back to the backcourt in terms of potential options, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, to me, I, and I've talked a lot about this when I talk about the Hawks and their draft prospects. Halliburton to me is a really, really ideal fit, not just for the Hawks, but for Halliburton because Halliburton's biggest weakness, I think, is his inability to put pressure on defenses um, with his lack of burst. Um, but you put him as the secondary playmaker and, you know, he could just kind of make good decisions, uh, ranked in the 99th percentile on spot-ups. Has there been any discussion about Halliburton and, and Trey Young as a pairing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, if we're talking about the Hawks possibly drafting someone who could play point guard, I think Halliburton definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in my opinion, I, I think for the Hawks, having as many – um, high-level shooters on the floor with Young, mm-hmm. I think is really um, you know beneficial for their long-term success. And if we talk about Halliburton, you know he, he's someone who made um, nearly 42% of his three-point shots. Um, and like we were talking about with Edwards, they they need someone who um, definitely can play alongside Young and and someone who, um, if Young is sitting, can. Uh, be the facilitator and be the lead playmaker in those minutes that Young is resting. Because like we saw last season, um, when Young sat, those minutes were absolutely disastrous. I mean, Travis Schlenk had to go out to um, Minnesota and and acquire Jeff T just to have some sort of stability um, in those minutes that Young sat. And it's, I mean, it still wasn't great. So I think if they can get someone like, um, Halliburton or even Killian Hayes, I, I w- wouldn't have much of a problem with that just because those guys could play with or without 
um, with, with, that, with or without Young. So I, I think Halliburton would be someone who the Hawks are definitely going to um, do a lot of evaluation. In. And I just think with Halliburton, too, you know, he's someone defensively who, um, you know, he can guard twos, he can guard threes because of his length. So I, I think that if, if he ended up being the pick, I, I think that would be a, uh, you know, a good decision for them. Yeah, and also Halliburton, I mean, his, if you talked about how much stock they put into character, Halliburton is like A-plus character, just a really uh, a positive guy, um, somebody you want in your locker room, and I think that would really shine through even through a computer screen um, if they do end up interviewing him, if they haven't already. Um, and then, yeah, he's a really high IQ team defender, not just on the ball. I know he averaged two and a half steals per game, but he just makes good rotations. He's just a really smart player, somebody who, like you said, can play on and off the ball um, or, or be that second unit guard for when they do need to sit Trey. Killian Hayes is interesting. You brought him up. Killian is number two on my overall board. I love his game and, and uh, how well-rounded he is. Um, it's kind of the same questions they had with LaMelo. Um, mm -hmm. Killian playing him off the ball, you know, he's not much of a – shooting is his weakness right now. He's somebody – if you want to draft, you really want to give him those touches. So the same kind of concerns I have with Lamelo, with Killian, but also Killian could easily be the best player available. So that's another um, interesting discussion and in, in pairing. Um, so now I kind of want to talk about some of the young guys on the team because I don't get to watch the Hawks um, every game, of course, and, and I do my best to keep up, particularly because the Hawks, they've drafted like all the guys I've covered so extensively over the years from Trey to Collins uh, to last year with Hunter. And Reddish. So we're now a year removed, or almost a year removed from last year's draft when the Hawks traded up to number four to get DeAndre Hunter. I'll admit, Hunter was number 12, I think, number 12 or 13 on my board. So I thought it was a stretch to really reach that high um, and trade up for Hunter. A year, a year later, are we liking that deal? I mean, what's the feeling now on Hunter a year after the Hawks moved up to four to get him? Um, as far as liking the deal... I think it's too early. I, I do think that they gave up a lot for someone who projects more so as a, a role player. Um, you know, they also took on Solomon Hill's contract. It was just a lot um, that they gave up to move up to number four. Um, you know, a, after their workout with, with Hunter during the pre-draft process, um, you know, I, I figured that he was, um, going to be someone that they targeted. I didn't, I didn't know that they were going to end up moving up to number four and, and trying to get him. But I knew I did know that they had fallen in love with him after they brought him in for his um, his private workout. But, you know, just from watching him every game um, this season, I just I just think that the, the, the amount they gave up is just too much for someone who I don't think is better than or has the the potential to be better than Cam Reddish long term, um, you know he, I think Hunter did a, a fine job. You know he he made thirty six percent of his threes this season. Um, you know he 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 was a good defender. I think uh, Reddish was a better defender overall than Hunter, but for for the Hawks, he's someone um, Hunter that is that he can play the three, he can play the four. Um, they're, they're still trying to figure out what his best position is long-term. Um, Lloyd Pierce actually said a couple weeks ago that one of the things that they do have to end up deciding on is what his position should be long-term. Um, you know, the Hawks were actually better 
with Hunter playing backup four minutes than they were with him starting at the three. So that's something that they're probably going to take a, take a look at um, whenever training camp does open up for next season. And I think for, for Hunter, after the All-Star break, and it's, it's a small sample size, um, you know, just 11 games, but I, I do think he was getting more comfortable. Um, you know, he, he was shooting over 40% from three in those 11 games. Um, definitely doing a better job attacking the glass and getting more rebounds. That was something that I was surprised at just from, you know, the start of the season to the middle of the season was just um, there, there were a lot of nights where he would get like two rebounds or three re- rebounds a game and he's playing 30 minutes a game. And it, it just didn't make that much sense to me, but he did a much better job um, as the season went along and attacking the glass. But you know, if we're talking about just pure value-wise, I, I do think that they gave up too much. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the rebounds because one of the biggest question marks I had coming out of Virginia was like, this guy is 6'7", 225, and he averaged five rebounds in 33 minutes. I mean, that's just like hard to even mm-hmm. really understand why, why they would be so low. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's not much of a creator, so you have to put him at the four, to me, was always the, the position that made sense. The threes, you know, it's good to see that he shot a good percentage. I was never super convinced because the volume was so low in college. He made 1.2 threes and, and again, 33 minutes. Um, so, you know, you're really banking on him to be a knockdown three-point shooter to, to justify uh, going that high. Um, and then, again, the concerns with the rebounding and putting him at the four. Anyway, it sounds like he's a, a fine player, um, and he's going to be a fi- You know, he's a fine player as a, as a rookie, and all signs – point to him being a serviceable role player but it's hard to mm-hmm. picture his ceiling being anything too exciting and, and any higher than reddish's so i had reddish number seven overall last year uh before the draft and i had hunter at number 12 or 13 so i was i did my best at duke you know reddish shot like 37 percent or something from the floor i did my best to overlook uh the inefficiency and understand that he went through a dramatic role change um and actually his role kind of with duke was is pretty similar to the Hawks. You know, watching him in high school, he was a point wing. The offense ran through him. Then he goes to Duke, and the offense runs through Zion, RJ, Trey Jones, and he's kind of doing a lot of spot-up work. It's it's tough to build rhythm that way. And, and so now he moves to Atlanta, and, of course, he's playing with Trey Young, again, doing a lot of spot-up work, and he starts off on a rough note, no surprise. But then all of a sudden, he, he really seems to gain confidence. Paint me a picture of what you saw from Reddish when he started his rookie season to where he finished. Yeah, I mean, from where he started, I mean, it was clear that he was trying to figure out what he was supposed to do, where he was supposed to be on the floor. Um, you know, there, there were some possessions where Reddish would, especially, I mean, I'm talking early, early in the season, like the first five or so games in the season, he would drive to the to the basket and, and just have no sort of plan. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, over time he, he got more comfortable and that showed month over month, um, especially on offense. I think from the beginning, his defense was was pretty good, and it, that it just continued to get better by the end of the season, or I shouldn't say end, but possible end of the season. Um, you know, he, uh, he was starting to guard the other team's best players, and that's again going back to Hunter. That's something that they, the Hawks, thought that Hunter was going to be that guy all season, and and it turned out Reddish was. But, um, you know, from talking with him from October through March, you can just tell that 
he was more confident in himself. Um, you know, he, he understood his role. He understood what the Hawks were trying to do. He understood that, you know, he, he had told me back in October that he just felt more comfortable with the ball in his hands. And again, what you just said, going back to Duke, his role from what he was doing in high school to, to his freshman year at Duke definitely changed a lot. And, and he was hoping that he would have more on-ball opportunities. He, he, he had some, but I don't, I don't think his playmaking ability was, was that um, impressive. But, you know, just from where he was in October, we're talking about a guy who shot 5% from three. Again, it's a small sample size. Um, and then when the season ended up uh, postponing in March, he had a 67% true shooting mark in, in that month, month of March. Again, another small sample size. But you can tell that where the Hawks were, Reddish was going to continue to get better. And if we're talking about a total roster evaluation, I don't, I don't think there's any player on, on the roster who – is negatively impacted more than Rennish with a postponement of the season, just because um, you know he was getting so comfortable, and and you could tell that you know things were starting to pick up, and and the Hawks were trusting him more than what they were in previous months. I think you could even expand that to say one of the guys in the NBA who was hurt most, yeah, was was Rennish. I actually wrote an article right after. Uh, the NBA was shut down of like guys who got screwed the most from this thing. Reddish was the headliner. I mean, he was the guy who finally was starting to build some rhythm. Uh, and then this happened. So really disappointing. Um, before we continue on, I got to shout out bet online because there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, bet online. NASCAR is back and bet online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get, to get in on. You can still bet on simulated uh, NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 seven, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, back to... This Hawks young core, which has all these promising pieces, we're kind of still waiting for all to, to fit together. Um, let's go to Kevin Herter. You, you mentioned him earlier um, in the pod, and, and Herter's a guy who, even when his last game at Maryland finished, people weren't talking about him as an NBA prospect. Um, somebody who had always caught my eye, and, and one of the things that I kind of, you even mentioned it earlier, his, his pick, and roll ability, uh, pick and roll ability a little bit. He's more than a shooter. He's a guy who can create. He's a guy who can pass. Um, and he's a versatile shot maker. There was a lot of promise after his rookie year. Um, I don't think he made a monster jump last year. I think he was—he mm-hmm. might have been limited with, with injuries. You know, what was the feeling? What's the feeling now on Herder based on what it was after his rookie year? Is there any more? Was there a little bit of a letdown, or, or is there still a lot of hope um, for his trajectory? I think there was a, a slight letdown. Um, you know. Interestingly, a couple weeks ago, um, Schlenk had divulged to uh, the media here in Atlanta that um, Herder showed up to training camp a bit out of shape, and um, he had a knee injury um, that he sustained in the offseason, and the knee pain just wouldn't go away. Turns out that um, you know the the extra weight that he put on, and he needed to put on extra weight just because he was so skinny his, his rookie year. But the weight that he ended up putting on 
was just bad weight. And I, I talked to Herger a couple of weeks ago and, and he was telling me that, you know, he was trying to do whatever it took to put on weight. And that consisted of eating bad things. Like he would eat a lot of pasta with sauce and a lot of sandwiches. And he just completely changed his diet over the course of the, of, over the course of the year. And that, that definitely helped. Um, you know, once he started to get out of his minutes restriction, which he was confined to at the start of the season, he ended up getting hurt in November in, in Denver and ended up missing 11 games because of a shoulder injury. And after that, he was kind of up and down. Like he would have a couple of games where, um, you know, he would shoot the lights out of the ball and was highly engaged and involved in the offense. And then there would be two to three to four games after where um, you wouldn't notice he was on the floor. Um, that that was just the, the sophomore season that Herder had. It, it was very, very up and down. And, and um, for him and the Hawks, I think it was a little bit frustrating just because, you know, you look at another sophomore player, you know, on the same roster and, and Young, his growth was exponential and, and Herder's just wasn't that kind of growth that they – I think expected out of him, you know, he, he still ended up shooting 38%. Um, you know, I, I know that the Hawks definitely believe that he can be an over 40% three point shooter. I, I definitely think he has that potential. It's just a matter of getting him more involved and more engaged than what he was this season. And I think for, for the Hawks as well, you have to talk about his defense. He's not the best defender. Um, you know, he, he's athletic, but I, I just don't think he long-term is the best kind of fit with Young, just purely based on defense. You know, his shooting ability is definitely there, but if he can, def- if he can defend at a higher level than what he is now, I think he would be a really, really good fit um, with Young in the backcourt. But as of now, just his defense and, you know, the Hawks definitely need someone who is a very good defender if Young isn't going to improve at all defensively um, to pair with in the backcourt. And I think Herter right now is kind of a question mark on if he is that guy or not. There's a couple wings in this draft who, uh, you know, I think are defensive aces. And it's going to be interesting to see if Atlanta goes for another wing. They've just, you know, they've added a lot. I always say you can't have enough wings since they could all pretty much play together. Um, who am I thinking of? Isaac Okoro to me is mm-hmm. is is potential to be a, reminds me a lot of OG Ananobi with the lower body strength and his potential to guard threes and fours and 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 twos and bring toughness. Um, I, I wonder if they'd consider him. Devin Vassell is number five on my board from Florida State, forty uh, percent from downtown both years, um, and, and just somebody who not only has the athleticism and tools to guard multiple positions, but the IQ to really maximize his defensive potential. Uh, you know, what do you know about those two guys? Do you think they happen to be better fits than Herder? Is Herder kind of expendable as the the Hawks try and put together a roster that fits? I think if we're talking about the the young core, about who is the most expendable out of Young, Collins, uh, Herder, Reddish, and Hunter, um, I, I think Herder's probably the most expendable guy. Um, just because, again, the, the fit long-term with, with Young um, you know, is, is definitely um, in question. I, I think he's, again, I, I personally think Herter's a really, really good player, and I, I think that if he can be 
um, you know, a better defender, he would be the an ideal fit just because he has the ability to be a playmaker. He has the ability to be a high-level shooter. It's just the defense that is in, in question right now. But, um, you know, the two guys you asked about, Okoro and, and Vassell, um, you know, the Hawks are definitely interested in them. And just because they've added, um, what, three wings now in the past two drafts and uh, Radish Herder and Hunter, they're not, um, you know, that's not going to stop them from taking another one. And I, I think that, um, you know, understanding that they have uh, a point guard for the future and they have a center who's under contract through 2023, it's, it's mainly about filling in those, those spots two through four. And um, both Okoro and Vassell, I think, would be really good fits just because they are high-level um, defenders, uh, Okoro probably more so than Vassell. Um, and they just need more defensive talent. The Hawks, for two seasons now under Lloyd Pierce, have been one of the worst teams defensively. Um, and it, I think a, a big reason for that is just because they've, they've had a lack of defensive talent on the roster. Um, you know, they've had to rely on young guys. Maybe those guys do end up becoming really good defensively. Um, Reddish and Hunter in particular, I think they definitely have the, the potential to be um, two of the better defenders in the league. But I do think that they need more defensive talent. And, and I think Okoro and Vassell definitely would fill a need for the Hawks. I want to talk about John Collins. So John Collins puts up 22 and 10. Shoots 58% from the floor, 40% from three. I know he got the suspension led to, what, a 41-game season, I think. Mm -hmm. It still seems to be overlooked a bit when we're talking about young NBA stars. Is it, or maybe he's not overlooked and I'm just too far away. Is it because of defense? Is it the losses? You know, what's that feeling in Atlanta on Collins' value and, and potential to be a star in this league? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Collins is is overlooked nationally. I mean, in my opinion, and I might be too close just because, again, I, I watch every single Hawks game, but in my opinion, I do think he's one of the better um, young power forwards in the league. Um, they definitely think he can uh, be, a, be a star in this league, and I, I think for the Hawks, it's just a matter of what's a, a right price to pay him. Over the past two seasons now, he hasn't played – um, close to 82 games. Um, even in this season, he obviously missed 25 because of the suspension. Last season, he had a couple of injuries that set him back. But I think when we're talking about roster building for the Hawks, he makes a lot of sense with Trey Young on the floor just because of his ability to um, roll to the rim. He's one of the best pick-and-roll big men in the league. Um, one, one of the most effective guys um, you know, finishing at the rim. He also shot you know, 41% from three this season um, and has continued to just be a better shooter than what he was coming out of Wake Forest. He wasn't even a shooter um, coming out of Wake Forest. So I think for the Hawks, they just have to decide on whether or not they want to get a massive deal done with Collins when you, know, you look at the numbers and they're, they're obviously excellent. But, you know, for three seasons now, the Hawks haven't won 30 games with him on the, on the roster. And it's not his fault with the roster that they've had, but, you know, they, they have to decide on whether or not, um, you know, he's worth the, the contract that he thinks he, he deserves. You know, back in March, he told me that, you know, he feels like he's in max extension territory. And, you know, whether or not you actually believe it is, is a different question. But, 
you know, he definitely has the numbers to suggest that he deserves to be paid uh, a significant amount of money. Right. So the only the only question I have with continuing to build with them, and, and again, I think Collins is underrated just based on the national attention he gets. Um, so, you know, how bad of a defender is he? Because if you have Trey Young and, and John Collins as your two cornerstone players and they're both negative mm-hmm. defenders, you know, how high is your team's defensive ceiling? So is there the question of, well, you know, he's he's a borderline star. You could probably get a lot for him in a trade. Is it worth thinking about moving him for a better fit? And whoever you get in return is certainly, you could certainly get a lot in return. So, I mean, has that conversation ever come up about trading him before extending him? Um, so at, at the, the trade deadline, there were definitely, um, you know, some conversations that some, some um, teams were having with Atlanta just because, um, you know, there are teams around the league who definitely think the Hawks are going to be hesitant with, with um, wanting to pay him the amount of money he thinks he deserves. Um, you know, they could definitely go the route that they went with Torian Prince last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, they had no interest in, in, in giving Torian a new contract when um, he was eligible for his rookie extension this past summer. Brooklyn decided that they, they were going to pay him. Um, so they could go that route, and I, I definitely agree that the the return for Collins could could be pretty high. But it's just a matter of um, you know for for the Hawks, um, you know if he, if they do end up extending him this summer, what the price is. I don't know if they're gonna you know want to give him max money or or close to that. Maybe it's a deal that um, you know is around. Aaron Gordon with Orlando, eighty million. Uh, Demonte Sabonis, seventy-seven million with Indiana. Um, you know, probably somewhere around that range. Um, but you know, going back to what you were talking about defensively, um, you know, Collins last year was certainly a liability on that end of the floor. He definitely got much better this year. Um, you know, he was, you know, pretty solid rim protector. Um, you know, he, he was up there actually with, you know, block percentage, um, as far as, um, big men go. And yeah, I think there's definitely some concern about his ability to step out to the perimeter and, and be able to move laterally with some of the quicker guys in the league. I I don't know if he has that, um, in his bag just yet, but I, I do think that he took a significant leap forward defensively. Um, if he was the kind of defender that he was last year, I, I, I think that there would definitely be more of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, an, expect, an expectance probably to, to try and move him this summer. But because of the leap that he did take um, defensively and, and just on the offensive end in the floor too, I mean, he, t- he took another significant leap forward. I mean, it's it's really hard and difficult to – find and develop young talent in the league and keep them at cost controlled, um, you know, money. And I think the Hawks definitely have a decision to make this summer on, on whether or not to um, give him the kind of contract he thinks he deserves. Yeah. So Collins reminds me every time I think, so Obi Toppin of course is a player mm-hmm. who is going to be a potential top five pick national player of the year, college basketball. I talk a ton about Obi Toppin and the people are kind of split on, his ceiling and his fit or whatever. And so my, my always big concern with Toppin, I always think about John Collins. He's a guy who's mm-hmm. going to put up 20 and 10, but he's going to be a liability on defense. And that 20 and 10 is kind of going to have a cloud over it because he can't really switch around the perimeter. He's not somebody you want to anchor the paint um, 
and Toppin's coming into the league at 22, 23 years old, whereas Collins came in much younger. So it was nice to see that Collins had the time uh, to improve a little bit, and he did. Um, Toppin, again, you know, how much is he going to improve from 23 to 26? I don't know. But uh, that's a, a, another question mark and a, a, another player I wonder what the Hawks would even – would the Hawks even consider a guy like Toppin? I mean, I, I guess this is kind of going off track here, but has there been any discussion about Obi? I haven't heard anything about Obi and the Hawks, and I, I think a, a big reason for that is just because, like you mentioned, I mean, he is a, a liability on the defensive end of the floor. The offensive overlap with Collins is definitely there. Um, you know, who – and like you said, I don't know how much he's going to improve. I mean, he's he was obviously great at Dayton, and you would take someone who can, you know, score an average 20 and 10 a night. But I, I don't know how much they actually um, – I, I don't know where exactly Toppin falls as far as their um, prospects go and as far as their board is concerned just because, um, you know, there is you know, quite a bit of overlap with Collins. And um, like you said, he's – big liability on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, so, I, I mean, if I'm Atlanta, I'm probably kind of just looking past him, even though he may be some, you know, best player available candidate. Like you said, too much overlap. Um, we're getting towards the end here. I don't want to talk about Trey Young too much because, I mean, what's there to say? He's a fantastic offensive player. What's what's the one thing, you know, if you're the coaching staff, that you want to see him improve going from this season to the next? I mean, it has to be defense. Um, you know, you look at any sort of advanced metric you want on, on defense with Young, and he's always near the bottom. Um, you know, however you feel about defensive real plus minus, he, he's rated last in that. Um, uh, defensive PIPM, he's near the bottom in that. So, I mean, I, I think for um, with, with, with Young, it, it, he just has to get better defensively, and maybe be, and and I think there's definitely some belief in Atlanta that just because the Hawks have been bad now for two seasons, that there's not that much of a reason for someone like him to exert all of his energy defensively if they're if they're just going to be a bad team, and maybe when the Hawks are you know expected to be better, and you know they've publicly said that they expect to be in the playoffs next year, maybe his level of intensity on that end of the floor just gets much better than it's been um you know that's easily his biggest weakness right now and i think the hawks would be so much better if they had young just be regular bad defensively instead of horrifically (laughs) bad um i think that would really go a long way for them just because um, you know, he's such a good offensive player and provides so much on that end of the floor. But, you know, it, it doesn't, it, I mean, it tended not to matter who was the opposing point guard um, when the Hawks played them. That point guard tended to have a really good game as well. Um, so, you know, even though Young is scoring over 30 a night, he's giving up almost as much on the other end. Right. So that's why I think that, you know, if he can just be regular bad and not horrifically bad, it, it would really go a long way for, for the Hawks. And, you know, from talking with, with Young, I mean, he, he's really, really smart. He knows where he's supposed to be on the floor. So, I mean, from from my standpoint, I, I do think it's just an effort thing. If, if he was just more engaged on that, on that end of the floor and had the level of care that he has, putting up the numbers he does on offense, 
I mean, I, I do think that he could be a better defender than what he has shown. Yeah, I mean, I gave him a pass at Oklahoma because of his usage rate and the amount of energy he had to expend offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was tiring just to watch him with the ball. Uh, so I, it was totally understandable. And it was an easy, you know, an easy nut. You can, uh, you could have easily criticized him on defense, but you gave him that pass and you wonder, you know, and now he's in the NBA. And it's such a, it, it boggles my mind a little bit when you say this, the energy or the, um, or, or like his passion and intensity because he is a really hard worker. I mean, that's always kind of followed him. Everybody knows that he works really hard and he's really intent on getting better. So uh, to even hear the noise of him, like you mentioned, ranking last and in, in defensive uh, box plus minus, you think that would be more motivation. So uh, is there is, is it really about like not trying hard enough or is it just the fact that he's six one with no length and, and, and not much muscle on his body? I mean, I definitely think that that has something to do with it. But, I mean, we, we've seen smaller point guards be right. good defenders in the NBA. Um, you know, Chris Paul is not the biggest defender. I mean, uh, biggest point guard, and, and he's good defensively. Um, you know, I, I do think that his size definitely limits his ability to be, you know, a, a high-level defender that you know, other guys can be. Um, you know, there, there are some games where, you know, he's engaged defensively and, and can get in passing lanes and, and do stuff there. And then there are lots of other times, though, where he's just not engaged. And, you know, it's, it's very clear that, um, you know, he's just not trying. I, I go back to a game in, I think it's December against Cleveland. I was, I was, I was at that game. And, I mean, it was really apparent that he just was not – just playing defense. I mean, uh, Colin Sexton and, and Darius Garland torched him. Um, and you would think that they were, you know, the best point guards in the league just with how easy they were getting to the basket. Um, and then there are some games, um, you know, later in the season against Miami, maybe it was because Jimmy Butler said some stuff about, um, you know, Trey Young. There, there was a game, I think it was in November, where Young waved his hand saying it was over. And the Heat ended up actually winning that game. And, and Young scored 50 points the following game. They played Miami and was really engaged defensively. So I, I think it's just a matter of having that kind of intensity, no matter who the opponent is or no matter if that team talk trash or, or whatever it is. He just has to have that level of care at all times. And that's something that we just haven't seen. And I, I think that, you know, for him, you know, he talks a lot about wanting to win and he talks a lot about how frustrating losing is. And, you know, with his usage rate, his level of, you know, uh, offensive efficiency that we saw, um, you know, I, I, I think that, yes, he's definitely a reason why the Hawks win a lot of games. But he, you can also make the argument that he's a reason why they've lost a lot of games and it's because of his defense and just his not – his just lack of caring on that on the floor a lot of nights. So again, it goes back to can he improve just even the slightest bit to where he's not that uh, much of a liability on defense. I think that's yeah. a big question. Yeah, really, the energy thing is so surprising to me. I mean, you know, he get beat, but the energy thing, particularly against like Colin Sexton, who at the end of his freshman year. And kind of scouts were a little bit jumping off the bandwagon a little bit. There was some buzz about, oh, scouts liking Colin Sexton a little bit more. You'd think that would be enough motivation for him mm-hmm. every single time he faces Colin. 
to really, you know, go 100%. So to me, that is surprising. Not surprising that he stinks on defense, but surprising that energy and effort is the problem. All right, last question. We'll wrap it up. What if the Hawks don't take a, a big step forward this year? I mean, I know Collins getting suspended last year early really hurt mm-hmm. them. Um, but I guess now we have Collins a year older, Trey in year three. A couple of the rookie uh, wings from last year should have a little more confidence. Now you got Capella filling in at center. I mean, the excuses, I think, are starting to run out. They don't have to be like a, a deep playoff team, but somebody who makes a jump from the bottom of the lottery standings, you know, at least into the playoff picture. What happens if that doesn't happen? Who should be held accountable? Yeah, I mean, someone will be held accountable. That's for that's for sure. I, I think um, it, it's it's likely going to be Lloyd Pierce that at the end of the day, if they don't make a jump, um, who likely gets the boot. And it's it's in, unfortunate in my opinion. I, I do think that you know Pierce is a, a very good coach, and you know in his two seasons now, he just hasn't been given the roster to you know really compete at you know a high level. Schlink told me um, um, even after the Collins suspension, um, even before uh, the Collins suspension, I should say, they were projecting internally 30 to 31 wins. So they weren't expecting to, you know, be this, um, you know, dark horse eight seed that a lot of um, the media thought they could possibly be. They they weren't expecting that kind of season. But when you when Pierce put out there, I think it was in March. Um, publicly that, you know, this is a playoff team next year. You know, once you say that publicly, you're going to be held to that. And if the Hawks don't, um, you know, reach that level, and I, it's not like, um, you know, a parade should be had if they make the playoffs and or the eighth seed or the seventh seed in the East. I, I do think that it's important for this young roster to experience more winning than they have in these past couple of seasons. But, um, you know, I, I also think that with the amount of cap space they have, no matter if there's going to be a dip in the salary cap space because of the pandemic or not, they're, they're going to have the most money to spend in, um, in free agency whenever that ends up um, happening. So they could, you know, realistically improve their depth than what they had this past season. Their, their bench this year was abysmal. Um, and there's just no no reason now that this team shouldn't take a step forward. Um, like you said, the the guys are, the young guys are going to be a year older. They have Capella now in the middle of their defense. Um, they have the cap space to go out and sign one or two you know difference makers if they wanted to, or at least really solid bench guys um, or end of bench guys, which has been a problem for them in the past two seasons, but. You know, if if they ended up not being the kind of team that I think they can be next year, there, there's definitely going to be some changes, and I think Pierce is probably the the, the likeliest um, person who would be held accountable. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite teams to follow. Uh, Chris Kirster from the Athletic Hawks beat writer, great job, a lot of good insight. Anything you want to plug before uh, we call it a day? Yeah, um, you know, if, if you're listening and, and haven't subscribed to The Athletic, uh, I definitely recommend you do so. We cover every team in, in the league. Even if you're not an NBA fan, we cover every single sport. Um, I'm sure you're an NBA fan if you're listening. But if you like NHL or Premier League, um, you know, the, the coverage on The Athletic is, is top-notch. Yep, I'm a subscriber as well. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks to Chris. And we'll be back next week.